Hello and welcome to A History of the United States, episode 28, Letters from a Small Island, part 2. Remember that this is a listener-supported podcast. If you'd like to help out, one of the best ways to do so is to leave a review on iTunes. It gets word out about the show, and it's quick and easy, nice and simple. Special thanks to our newest pioneers, listeners Chris and James. Thanks guys, I couldn't do the show without you. Firstly, I want to apologise about the sudden ending of our last episode. I began to record the episode and then my voice started to go. I ended the episode at the next convenient point, rather suddenly, and was then hit by a cold which basically took me out for a week, which is why this episode is also a bit late. But we're back with the rest of what we were supposed to have, plus a bit more. All I managed to say last week was that James Shirley managed to gain control of the adventurers, which is what the group of London merchants backing the expedition called themselves. He sent a letter informing Bradford of this on board the Charity, a fishing vessel they had sent. We quoted the entirety of this letter, but now I want to get into what else was on board that ship. There was a letter too from Robert Cushman, who was in London as the chief agent of the colony, and he explained the nature of the decision to Bradford. Basically, Cushman felt that a fishing vessel would be of more use to the pilgrims than comforts such as butter and sugar. This seems fair, but their attempts to get fish out of Plymouth had not met with much luck before. Goodwin views it as an obsession, writing that the London merchants had fishing mania, which sounds exactly like the title of the next History Channel quote-unquote documentary. It also had on board a shipmaker, who was very well respected. He would build two shallops and a lighter. He was in the process of building a fourth ship for the colony, when he died of a fever. It also brought a salt maker, who was, in a word, incompetent, and the less said about him, the better. It also brought with it a patent for some land at Cape Anne, and the charity was sent there with some of the settlers in order to construct a fishing stage. Should the listener not be familiar with the process of how exactly the New England 17th century fishing industry worked for some reason, a fishing stage is a type of wooden building, which would be constructed on an elevated platform either at the edge of the water or at the land wash, which can roughly be considered the area between high and low tide. It was a place used during the summer months for the fish to be salted and dried. So, it was with the intention of building one of these that the charity set sail. It didn't go particularly well, though. This was partly to do with the time of year they had set sail, but Bradford reserves primary blame for the captain, who spent the whole voyage drunk, and most of the men followed his lead. No good came of this mission. The charity also brought with it the first cattle to Plymouth, three heifers and a bull. It would have been a great home comfort for the pilgrims to have a feature of the landscape there which felt natural. They were carefully watched, given the fact that wolves roamed the area, but the grass of the area was good for them, and Bradford pleasingly notes 
that they soon grew nice and fat. On board, also, was a letter from Pastor John Robinson, he who was leading the flock back in Leyden, writing to Elder Brewster. This had a lot to do with complaints over Standish's actions with Wessa Gusset, but given that Robinson was in the Netherlands and Standish was on the scene, and that it had been a resounding success, I'm sure you'll forgive me for not going into this. It is, however, an important moment. Robinson and Brewster were the early leaders of the colony, back from its time in Leyden, and Robinson would die in 1625 while still in his 40s. It was a shock, and means that this letter is the last contact Robinson would have with the colony he had been so instrumental in setting up. The charity was an unwelcome arrival for some who had not been getting on well with the pilgrims, a faction led by one Master Oldham. It was believed that they would be placed in control of the colony, and they were disappointed to find that this wasn't the case and that their complaints had been revealed. Bradford addressed the concerns which they raised and the matter was quickly smoothed over. The greatest complication made by the arrival of the charity was the arrival of Master John Lyford, along with his family. He was a preacher in the Church of England, but was a Puritan, and he had been selected as an agent by several adventurers. Winslow and Cushman both opposed him going, but relented in order to keep the peace. Lyford was housed and was well-respected. Shortly after his arrival, he appeared to convert to Congregationalism, and offered to renounce his membership of the Church of England, although Brewster made it clear that that wasn't necessary. He was not to be made a pastor, but was allowed to preach along with Brewster. The council regularly consulted with Brewster, Lyford, and Oldham. It seemed that all was going well, at first. Suspicions were raised when it was noticed that Lyford was spending a lot of time with Oldham, in addition to other malcontents, such as the permanent source of trouble that was John Billington. When the charity was getting ready to sail away, it was also observed that Lyford was writing a lot of letters. Bradford was very uneasy about this. From the letters he had received from Shirley, he knew how precarious the colony's position was back in London, and he feared that if the letters contained anything slanderous, it would greatly weaken their position. Bradford and the council asked to see the letters. The master of the ship, one William Pierce, was a friend of the pilgrims and was happy to oblige. Bradford set sail on the ship along with Winslow, and the letters were opened. It was discovered that the letters were full of slander about the colony. Bradford returned to Plymouth that night, while Winslow and Pierce sailed back to England. The conspirators, Lyford and Oldham, were very nervous. But Bradford did nothing for a few weeks, and they eventually assumed that he had just gotten on the ship to speak with his old friend Pierce, before returning to Plymouth. What they didn't know was that Bradford was just waiting, so that he would be able to catch them in the act of treachery. He didn't have to wait too long. They soon began to cause trouble, and Oldham, at one point, refused to obey his captain when it was his turn to take watch. Bradford was scandalised that Oldham actually called his captain a beggarly rascal, 
He then brandished a knife. Bradford sent men to quiet Oldham, but Oldham cursed them all to high Hades and had to be imprisoned. No doubt Oldham was expecting some sort of popular reaction against this, but when none manifested, he came to his senses and he was released. After this aborted uprising, they resorted to the plan they had written about in the letters. Lyford and his accomplices waited until a Sunday when they set up an alternative congregation. We don't know what exactly about this caused offence, but we do know that there was something, something designed to tear the colony apart. It was exactly what Bradford had been waiting for. He called a town meeting, which the whole colony was to attend. Lyford and Oldham were both charged with treason. They denied it and demanded proof. He referred to their actions in public, Lyford's issues with the church, and the previous issues Oldham had had with the colony. This caught the conspirators off guard, thinking that this was all the evidence that Bradford had. Lyford denied the charges. At this point, some of the letters were produced. Lyford was speechless. Oldham raged, furious that they had opened his letters. He called upon his friends for revenge, and then was mortified when not a single person leapt to his defence. Bradford asked Lyford his opinions on the opening of the letters, but Lyford didn't reply. At this point, all the letters written by Lyford were revealed by Bradford. He doesn't include the letters, as there were too many of them, but he sums up the charges and answers them. Basically, since it would probably take a good 20 minutes to go through the full version of Bradford's summary, but to really summarise, he basically said that the pilgrims were ruining the colony with their religion and through incompetence, and encouraged them to allow no more separatists from Leyden to go to Plymouth, and for them to send over as many Englishmen as possible so that they could outnumber the pilgrims before things got any worse. There were a couple of other things in there, you can find the full list in Bradford's On Plymouth Plantation, but my favourite bit has to be a rather funly worded complaint by Lyford. He asks the London merchants for a better general, quote, for this Captain Standish looks like a silly boy, end quote. Considering how well Standish has handled the military responsibilities of Plymouth so far, I really wish I could have seen his face when that letter was read out. So, the letters were read, and Bradford asked Lyford for his response. Everyone in the town was there. If he needed witnesses, they were all right there waiting. What was his defence? What were his thoughts on these letters? Did he have any other complaints about the pilgrims he hadn't written down? Lyford said that he now realised he had been misled by some of the people he had listened to, such as John Billington, and that this caused him to exaggerate other issues. Billington and the others denied any wrongdoing, and people believed him. This was a huge blow for Lyford. His standing with Bradford, Standish, Brewster, and the other men of note was below that of John Billington. He burst into tears, wailing that he feared not even God would forgive his sins. The votes were cast, 
Oldham was banished with immediate effect, although his family were allowed to stay for a while until he found another home for them. Lyford was given six months, but with an eye towards lifting the punishment if it turned out he had actually repented. He confessed his sins afterwards at the church, and the pilgrims began to trust him again. He was once more allowed to preach. Samuel Fuller and some others amongst the company began to ask that his punishment be lifted. The pilgrims were then caught off guard when, two months later, Lyford packed up and left the colony in floods of tears, saying that he felt the need to take his punishment. He did not deserve to have it lifted after making up such lies. Thus ends the tale of Lyford and the Pilgrims. Except not yet. There is another twist in the tale, for Lyford wrote another letter, in secret, which he sent back to the London merchants. Quote, Worthy sirs, though the filth of mine own doings may justly be cast in my face, and with blushing cause my perpetual silence, yet that the truth may not hereby be injured, yourselves any longer deluded, nor injurious dealing carried out still, with bold outfacings, I have adventured once more to write unto you. First, I do freely confess I dealt very indiscreetly in some of my particular letters, which I wrote to private friends, for the courses in coming hither and the like, which I do in no sort seek to justify, though stirred up there unto in the beholding the indirect courses held by others, both here and there with you, for affecting their designs, but am heartily sorry for it, and do to the glory of God and mine own shame acknowledge it. Which letters, being intercepted by the governor, I have for the same undergone the censure of banishment, and, had it not been for the respect I have unto you, and some other matters of private regard. I had returned again at this time by the pinnace for England, for here I purpose not to abide unless I receive better encouragement from you than from the church, as they call themselves, here I do receive. I purposed before I came to undergo hardness, therefore I shall hope cheerfully bear the conditions of the place, though very mean, and they have changed my wage ten times already. I suppose my letters, or at least the copies of them, are come to your hands, for so they here report, which, if it be so, I pray you take notice of this, that I have written nothing but what is certainly true, and I could make so appear plainly to any indifferent man whatsoever colours be cast to darken the truth, and some there are very audacious this way, besides many other matters which are far out of order here. My mind was not to enlarge myself any further, but in respect of diverse poor souls here, the care of whom in part belongs to you. Being here destitute of the means of salvation, for howsoever the church are provided for to their content, who are the smallest number in the colony, and do so appropriate the ministry to themselves, holding this principle, that the Lord hath not appointed any ordinary ministry 
for the conversion of those that are without, so that some of the poor souls have, with tears, complained of this to me, and I was taxed for preaching to all in general, though in truth they have no ministry here since they came, but such as may be performed by any of you, by their own position, whatsoever great pretenses they make, but herein they equivocate, as in many other things they do. But I exceed the bounds I set myself, therefore resting thus, until I hear further from you, so it be within the time limited me, I rest, etc. Remaining ever yours, John Lyford, Exile, dated August 22nd, 1624. End quote. What a Grinch. As it turned out, Lyford didn't return to England on the pinnace, as he wrote in the letter. Instead, he joined Oldham at Nantaset. Bradford writes that nothing else of interest happened that year, so we'll close out both our episode and 1624, and then return next time out to see what happens next, because this storyline isn't quite over. If you've enjoyed today's episode, then please consider signing up for membership. You can do that at the website, thehistoryofpodcast.com. You can also continue the conversation on social media, facebook.com forward slash thehistoryofpodcast, on Twitter, at HistoryJamie, and you can send me an email, thehistoryofpodcast at gmail.com. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.